You obviously know Kung Fu. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rich Ting. I play Bolo on Cinemax's Warrior, and you're tuning in to Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Joining me tonight is special guest, martial artist, model, athlete, and I'm talking collegiate championship level athlete and actor in such projects as Waco, The Man in the High Castle, and most recently, playing the Enforcer Bolo in the Cinemax series based on Bruce Lee's original ideas for Warrior, Rich Ting. Rich, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast tonight. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast with you, man. I appreciate it. It's really great to have you. Now, before we do anything, though, I have one question to ask you. What is up with that proposal picture? Because that is out of this world. <laughs> um, yeah, that is that is a proposal picture. That, that, uh, <laughs> that. All right, let me let me set this up for everybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, Jason Tobin was a guest on the last episode, and I asked him for a, an interesting story about uh, his colleague Rich Ting, and he said that uh, there was a uh, picture that you had set up for uh, your proposal, which he says was an epic shot. (laughs) I went to go check it out. And Rich, this is beyond epic. This is like world-shattering, woman-melting epic grandiosity (laughs) of of ridiculous proportions. I've never seen a proposal picture like this. What is wrong with you? Why are you ruining it for everybody else? Obviously, that wasn't the intention. The intention was... To capture one moment, you know, and as actors, we're always looking for moment to moment acting, right? And, and, and living in the moment and, and giving that full life experience to our characters. And uh, that's all I tried to do uh, with the help of an amazing photographer out in Cape Town. Him and his girlfriend, two person photography team out there that I was absolutely like flattered to and just privileged to have worked with. And um, they captured one shot, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> it was the right shot. <laughs> it was, well, first of all, congratulations, because that's relatively new still, right? Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, that's great. And uh, again, if uh, if you just search for Rich Ting proposal uh, online, uh, it, he's got a, the picture up on, uh, I believe it's the uh, wedding announcement page, but it's um, a shot overlooking, I believe, Hout Bay. Yes. It's actually, um, it's over Simonstown on kind of a little bit of a drive out of Cape Town. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, Rich proposing to his his girlfriend at the time, his now wife, Angela, I believe. And he's on his knee on a overlook beyond it. it. There's a mountain. There's some soft clouds. There's the bay. And it's this wide panoramic shot. <laughs> That's just... Seriously, it's just out of this world. Uh, props to your photographer for getting that moment. Um, are, are you a, a romantic? Because that's something that, you know, passionate romantics do. I think I'm a, I'm a romantic, you know, definitely. Uh, I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of rom-coms. <laughs> yeah, I, I, li- I, like, I like those type of genre movies, which is so funny, right? Because here I'm playing Bolo, and Bolo like rom-coms. <laughs> but, you know, I just it's one of those things that, you know, I wanted to do once. I wanted to do it right. 
And um, similar to working on Warrior, you know what I mean? It was an opportunity. I, I put my whole heart and effort into it. And um, I think the most important thing at the end is, you know, was I happy? And I, I was definitely happy with how everything worked out. It's beautiful. Speaking of Warrior, though, congratulations on the success of the show. It's been renewed for a second season. You guys must be really excited. Definitely. Obviously. Yes. We're <laughs> thrilled. To say the least. Uh, if, if only for the paycheck, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's just this entertainment industry is such a weird beast. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I had the privilege of working on another show currently um, on ABC called The Fix. Uh, Marsha Clark, the famous attorney involved in the O.J. Simpson case, was the executive producer and writer of it. And I was able to be introduced in my character in one of the 10 episodes for season one. Totally excited about a possible season two. I know the fans for The Fix were definitely, you know, excited of the possibility. And, you know, it's network television. I, I truly love the show. And I just got the news that it's now been canceled and it's not going to go to a season two. Where, to me, I thought that would have been an easy graduating step for season two on ABC, for example, you know. And so, you know, we never know. Meanwhile, you know, we're in Cape Town, South Africa last year for about, you know, four to five months total working on season one of warrior warrior obviously is a show that's breaking down a ton of different barriers, both racial and stereotypical mm -hmm. and just opening a lot of doors for the industry that haven't been open before. You know, just the mere fact that warrior was created by Bruce Lee, who never was able to greenlight it because at the time in the seventies, the, the industry was not ready for an Asian leading yep. man. So now, you know, we come so many years later in 2019 and we're doing it. You know, and we're nervous, you know, like, are, are people going to accept this? Are, are we going to honor the man himself, Bruce Lee, you know, well enough? There's all these variables and all these question marks and, you know, and, and, and anxiety and hesitation. At the same time, you know, we all gave 150% effort in everything we did and it gets lit for season two and renewed for another season. You know, it, it's just you, yeah. you can never predict really what's going to happen in, in this industry. And, and that's what's so frustrating, but yet so motivating at the same time. Now, let's uh, touch on Bruce Lee for a little bit. Do you think that Bruce Lee would be proud of what you guys are doing with his baby today? I would hope so. I mean, I think too, you know, obviously if Bruce Lee was around today, you know, and, and was around the cast and crew of Warrior I think it would it would be obvious the amount of effort and the amount of love and just the overall amount of honor that each and every one of us, you know, whether it's Kieran who plays Big Bill or like you mentioned, Jason Tobin, who plays Young June or myself, I would be saying we at least each gave 150 percent of our life. You know, I mean, people moved their families out to Cape Town for five months. People had families and loved ones flying in to support them. I mean, everyone went full out. And we were all in it together. And, and based on that in alone, I think Bruce would have been very proud. You know, and I think now seeing the response that we're getting worldwide and globally, of course, Warrior hasn't reached all the countries quite yet. But the initial response has been so overwhelming in a positive way that, you know, I think definitely in honoring the man himself, I think he would have been he would have been happy, I hope, to, yeah. uh, to see what we did. It's an excellent show, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, more later. But um, if you haven't caught it yet, definitely look it up and, and get it onto your uh, binge list because uh, it's it's really, really good. The actors are really fantastic, and they, they definitely do put 150%, and you can see that. As someone who idolized Bruce Lee yourself, do you kind of have to pinch yourself every time you uh, 
were getting to set and knowing that you were going to inhabit this world that he created? I mean, to be honest, to this day, I don't think it's really fully sunken in to be to be just <laughs> transparent as I can. Um, you know, initially, you know, we heard about the project and that HBO had had agreed to do it with Cinemax. You know, one thing led to the next. You know, we got called in for the audition. We auditioned for Awesome. Actually, I had I auditioned for Awesome, and then from that, I got a call back to audition for Bolo. You know, and, I, and 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 once we booked Bolo, it was a little surreal. Even when we got to Cape Town and we were walking on the set and we we're at the studios, and you know, Justin Lin is there, Jonathan Tropper, Danielle Woodrow, Shannon Lee, and everyone's you know giving their input. And cameras start to roll, and I think you know. One of the main reasons why it hasn't really sunk in, to be honest, is the mere fact that as a cast, being together for that length of time on, in such a remote location like Cape Town, we were literally removed from the rest of the world. You know, So because we got along so much and because of the camaraderie and just because of the overall just positive relationships that we created and having not known each other prior to working on this, on this project, we kind of got lost in our own world, you know? And I think it was really refreshing because we got lost in the sense where we knew what we were doing and why we were there and who we were honoring. But as far as the impact that it would have globally, there's no way we could ever think of that just because how could we, you know, to us, it was like a nine to five that we were putting 150% of effort in and then we go home, you know? And, and I think it's just because of, the, the, the atmosphere of the actors is, are, it was very mellow in a good way. You know, it was very family. Like we all enjoyed each other's company on and off of camera. And, you know, at the end of this, at the end of the shoot, I was trying to pinch myself and be like, Hey, we're done with season one. You know what I mean, like, and I still didn't believe it, even though I did it, you know what I mean? And so to this day, now seeing it on television and seeing the response and seeing the fans and the viewers all comment and loving it and, and all this greatness that's happening, it's still a little surreal to say the least. You know what I mean? Just because I always tell people like we all have idols and, and heroes in our life, whether that's our, you know, a coach, a teacher, a parent, you know, a, a celebrity, you know what I mean? But how often do we get to honor a celebrity by bringing to life an idea and a vision that he created more than 50 years ago when I was, when I wasn't even born yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that's yeah. crazy to think about that. Cause I, I, I mean, maybe some people are able to meet their idol, you know, and say, thank you, but to actually do something as they say, to, to honor and prolong his legacy. That's when it gets mm -hmm. weird for me because how can I contribute to Bruce Lee's legacy? It's Bruce Lee. Enough said. You know what I mean? Right. So in that right. sense, it's it's beyond an honor. It's something that I don't even have a word to describe it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it has to be surreal because beyond being just a celebrity, Bruce Lee was a cultural icon. Right? I mean, he changed the game for so many people. I mean, there's story after story that I, that I could go into and, and just one off top is when I was in Cape Town and I was in an Uber on a day off. You know, in Cape Town, in South Africa, there, there's there's three class distinctions based on, um, I would say, political, racial, 
and uh, religious affiliation. You know, it's it's basically you have the white class, you have the black class, and you have the colored class. And you know, people, especially in the U.S., kind of cringe when they hear the word "colored," right? But in South Africa, it's a very common term, and it signifies a certain group of people of a certain demographic. Well, I was in a Uber with a black older man who, when we say black in South Africa, it means that he's associated with the Zulu tribe. And he was asking me just, you know, frankly, like, oh, what am I doing in South Africa? Where am I from? And long story short, I, I, I just alluded to him that, oh, I'm an actor and I'm shooting a TV series out here. And he asked, oh, really? And he's like, what is it about? I said, actually, it was written by Bruce Lee. And he pulls the car over and turns around and goes, you're doing a TV series that Bruce Lee wrote. And I'm like, yes, you, do you know who Bruce Lee is? You know, out of politeness, I asked. And he's like, of course I know who Bruce Lee is. And then he goes on to this huge story about how when he was a kid during the apartheid era of South Africa, in which obviously blacks colored and whites were unable to mix. And there was a lot of racial segregation and discrimination at that time. He explained how he used to sneak into these, quote, white theaters to watch Bruce Lee movies when he was a kid. And then him and his friends would then mimic and imitate Bruce Lee and Bolo afterwards back at home. (laughs) I'm listening to the story and it's freaking me out because I'm listening to a South African black man talk to me about his experience under apartheid government sneaking in to watch Bruce Lee films when he was a kid. Then he goes, what character are you playing? And I said, I'm actually playing Bolo. And he lost his mind. <laughs> I'm like, he was like, wait a minute, you're, you're playing Bolo. And I'm like, yes. He's like, oh my God. And so um, obviously we took, we took some photos, you know, he, he, he shook my hand and he was just like, so mesmerized by the fact that I was representing Bolo and I was in his car, you know? And so that just goes to show you that us Americans and especially people that I've grown up with, we all know who Bolo is. We all know who Bruce Lee is, obviously. But out of my own ignorance, I would think that maybe people in other countries may not know who Bruce Lee is, maybe, you know? Right. And this story completely shattered those ignorances and those questions that he touched a black kid back in the day during apartheid you know, that is now driving in Uber in South Africa with Bolo, the actor in the back seat. You know what I mean? That's incredible. I would have imagined I would have that kind of interaction, you know, or that kind of response from an elder man in South Africa. So that, that just goes to show you that, you know, Bruce, Bruce was a hero. He was a game changer, like you said. And he was just someone that I think crossed all color lines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All cultures and, 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 the fan base is already there for us to do something like this. You know what I mean? So that's why it's always, it's been extra special. That's really cool. Now that's a small glimpse of the impact that you and the cast of warrior can really make in an industry that uh, can still uh, be a little bit touchy with those Asian stereotypes. Are, Are you aware of what you guys have the potential to do regarding those color lines and, and, changing the game a little bit more yeah i think you know when i first started in the biz about 10 years ago you know people were always telling me who are who are who are older than me that you know you're entering it at a good time whatever that meant right i think now is a good time but of course you know when it's happening things are happening now it's already too late because things that are happening now have been set in place and in motion years ago maybe even a decade ago so 
I think with the recent, you know, obviously exposure of Asians on film, such as Crazy Rich Asians, for example, last year, you know, to me, that was a that was a phenomenal romantic comedy, super, super quality film, uh, fan of the director, fan of a lot of the actors in it. Uh, and, you know, that just opened the door for Asian characters on film. You know, the, the thing that distinguishes Warrior from something like that, and I think, you know, you know, people always ask, oh, because of Crazy Rich Asians, do you think that helped open doors for Warrior? And, and my answer is this. Because of a film like Crazy Rich Asians, which just came about, obviously, in 2018, with the inclusion of Warrior coming out in 2019, I think both of these projects have open doors. The reason why I say that because, you know, as an as an Asian American, you know, I I have a certain perspective that I grew up with and, and I'm very, very much American. And and I grew up in a household where only English was spoken and my parents only spoke English. And so, you know, when I watch a romantic comedy like Crazy Rich Asians, you know, obviously the storyline takes place in Singapore. So to me, I was watching an Asian romantic comedy in Asia. You know what I mean? And with all the accents and all the different, you know, I think there was Australians, there was British, there was Singaporeans, there was just a lot of different Asian people from different countries, right? Where, you know, Warrior is quote unquote an Asian American based cast or a second generation Asian American based cast. Meaning this, meaning obviously you have people like myself who are full Asian American. And then you have people like Andrew Koji, who's from the UK, and people like Jason Tobin, who's from Hong Kong. Granted, they're second generation Asians, but not from the US, so to speak. So they can't typically be considered Asian American, which isn't the main point. It's the point is that it's opening doors for those second generation Asians that are English speaking based. You know what I mean? Even Canadians like Olivia and Diane are both Canadian. So to me, I think with these two different kind of films, just because of the exposure of Asian actors on camera, we are changing the industry as we speak and doors are opening. And, you know, my biggest wins have obviously been, you know, behind the scenes. You know, when I get called in to read or audition or even book roles that weren't written for an Asian male, you know what I mean? They're actually written for a white, black or Latin male and they bring me in and they're like, you know what? Let's go with Rich, mm. never an Asian American for this certain character. You know, that's a, that's the big win to me because before, like, for example, with Bruce, he was already Bruce Lee when he pitched Warrior in the 70s. He had already done so many films in Hong Kong and in the States when he pitched Warrior. Yet the industry just still said no because they did not. And I would say they weren't ready and they didn't want an Asian leading man. You know what I mean? So now someone like myself who's Asian American who has had the opportunity to fill the shoes and play roles that weren't even designated or written to be Asian are now giving those roles to people like myself. And I'm so proud to be able to do that in this t- in this day and age. Yeah. A very good thing could come out of this. It's it's still early days. You know, you're only in season one, but obviously you have already made some impact with some people around the world. And uh I jumped onto one of your uh, Instagram, uh, Warrior After Darks, and I I posted a note to you that one of the great things about this show is that you watch it long enough and you stop seeing that this is Asian actors. You stop seeing that it's a a predominantly Asian cast. All you notice and all you recognize is that the acting is awesome. The storyline is great. The wit is sharp. And, you know, the fighting is phenomenal. And that becomes the important part about this show is that regardless of who's playing what, 
all of these characters have come to life. All of the stories is something that you get immersed in fully. And absolutely credit to all of you guys for putting on such a fantastic piece for all of us to enjoy. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, You know, it's 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 always a bonus when there's people like yourselves that that you know have this that are impacted by what we do like this. You know, and um, I I just think that the effort and and just the overall quality of each and every actor on this show is is second to none. And and you know that starts with casting. You know, that starts with Jonathan Tropper, with Shannon Lee, with Justin Lin and Danielle Woodrow at the very beginning to see, you know, who are going to who are we going to bring in to possibly fill these shoes of each and every character. And, you know, to me, they did a phenomenal job casting. You know, once we all got together, it was instant chemistry. You know, we all know people in the business and and and, and other people that went out for certain roles and. I couldn't have chosen a better young June. I don't know anyone else that could have that could be playing young June better than Jason Tobin. I mean, he's absolutely murdering this role, and you know, Andrew Koji is filling some huge shoes. You know, those shoes. I mean, he's filling Bruce Lee's shoes. You know, basically. I mean, I mean, how can you even attempt to think about? Oh, I'm going to play this character that Bruce would have played. You know, so uh, credit goes out to 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 the casting of this show because i mean they brought together 13 14 strangers from all over the world I mean, we're talking europe hong kong indonesia uh the uk the us canada you know and and we all came together to to honor this man and and and, I, and I, to this day i mean dean is mis, is mr leary 100% Kier- like I, I don't, I know other guys that, you know, are in that typecasting and, but at the same time, I would have went with Dean. I would have went with Kieran hundred percent. You know what I mean? So I think it really credit needs to be given where credits deserve. And that's with the casting and the, you know, the showrunner and the producers of this thing. Uh, along that same line though, you are Bolo. I can't see you as Assam because <laughs> when you are on screen as Bolo, that's, I mean, that's it. You, you fill that role, you define that character and, if anybody else were uh, were Bolo, uh, and I knew that you were around, I, d- I don't know that I could have I could have bought that. <laughs> <laughs> but legend has it that he's based on Bolo Young. Yeah, no, it is based on Bolo Young, and see a lot of the cool things about Warrior, and you know we discovered this as a cast as you know as as, as the season went on uh, while we were filming in Cape Town is that you know obviously Bruce you know this was his idea so. A lot of the guys and friends that he had previously worked with and, you know, Enter the Dragon or the Big Boss or whatever, you know, he he put into this original treatment, you know. So so if you really study it, you're going to see a lot of similarities with Enter the Dragon with people like myself, Bolo, who obviously was played by the real Bolo Young. You're going to see that, you know, there was a Mr. Han in Enter the Dragon who is kind of replicated and mirrored by Father June. You know, you're going to see a Bill O'Hara who is the cop and, and sergeant of Chinatown police sergeant of San Francisco uh, police who runs the Chinatown beat. And that's based off the O'Hara character in enter the dragon. You know, you're going to have Mei Ling who's based off another female character named Mei Ling in one of Bruce's other, you know, so there's all these cool parallels and the real, the real cool thing about Bolo is the fact that they kept his name you know, in Warrior. Yeah. And, you know, Assam is obviously traditionally Bruce Lee. If Bruce would have made this back in the 70s, he would have played Assam. But it was such a such a cool gift that they kept Bolo because, you know, obviously being a fan of Bolo growing up and, and knowing who he is and, 
what he did in you know in Bloodsport as Chung Lee and all these other great films he was a part of to keep his name and to keep kind of his image and his legacy going was is just was just super cool to do. Now you've come kind of full circle with that, right? Because apparently as you were growing up and uh, becoming this crazy athlete, people would call you Bolo or Chung Lee. Yeah, you know, and that that I always say the the whole Bolo image and name has kind of stuck with me since I was a kid. You know, ever since uh, <laughs> I, I started playing in, in, in sports like Pop Warner football when I was a youngster, and baseball and basketball and and track. Um, you know, I was always I was a little I was always a little bigger for my age when I was a kid, and I was usually one of the only Asian kids on these other athletic teams. And so all my other friends and teammates, even family, would joke to me and be like, you know, Bolo. <laughs> and I used, I, to be honest, I never accepted it because I was such a Bruce Lee fan that I wanted to be Bruce Lee. And then, you know, as I got older and obviously, you know, physically I got bigger and I was playing football in college and I was, you know, I played in the Ivy League where, you know, it wasn't a lot of diversity, let's say, on these football teams that and let alone zero Asian football players. And a lot of my teammates, it was the first time they had seen an Asian football player or played with a guy that was Asian on their football team. And people used to be like, man, you're like the biggest Asian guy I know. You're like Chung Lee, you know, (laughs) in college it was Chung Lee. And I I was just like, you know, here it goes. And, you know, and then after a while, you know, it died out and and I moved on to other things. And decade later, you know, we get the call that HBO Cinemax wants to consider me for Bolo. And at that point I just finally gave in. I was like, you know <laughs> it took that long. <laughs> yeah, this is beyond a coincidence. I'm going to book this thing. I'm going to embrace this man and I'm going to kill this role, you know, and uh, that's exactly what I did. And, and, and I, I was so happy in, in, in representing him, in honoring him and, uh, and carrying out his name as well, you know, as well as Bruce's. Have you gotten to meet Bolo yet? You know what? I haven't. But like word has spread, you know, and, and people that know him have contacted me and I've talked to people that know him and vice versa. So I'm still waiting for, for that day to come in. And believe me, I will get a photo and I will post that photo <laughs> and I will keep that photo forever. So that's going to be awesome. I hope that happens soon. Uh, only because, uh, like you said, to have a character from the real Bruce Lee's life incorporated into the show it, it definitely adds something special to it what did you bring to the character to to fully realize him on screen well what was really good what was really great about this whole experience was that from the initial meeting at hbo with justin lynn shannon lee uh danielle woodrow and jonathan tropper you know the one thing they expressed to me was that hey we, we didn't cast you to to mimic or replicate or to quote unquote be bolo we cast mm-hmm. you because of rich ting and in in any way you want to, you contribute to Bolo on your own. But by no means are we asking you to to replicate him a hundred percent. You know, and that was that was that was such a relief in, in one aspect because it gave me the freedom to basically create a character. You know what I mean? And you know, the the, the easy choice would would have been okay. I'm going to honor this guy by physically mimicking him while he stands there or fights or does something, but. I chose to go deeper than that. Fans of Bolo, the real Bolo Young, know, know him from movies like we talked about, Enter the Dragon or Bloodsport or Double Impact with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, you know, he was more of a physical presence who who had, you know, some, some notorious famous one-liners and a lot of grunting and yelling on, in other yeah. films, you know. But his dialogue was always kept to a minimum. And I always said, like, 
the viewers only saw one color of him, you know? Mm. And I thought what better way to honor a man like this, who's such a legend in himself than to personalize him in a way in which gave him a full life, you know? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to represent Bolo by becoming a real full human being on camera with this guy. I'm going to show, I'm going to show the, the viewers and the audience that Bolo is not just this intimidating guy, that maybe he's a guy that doesn't even want to fight, that has to fight out of survival, but does, is not a fighter by nature, so to speak. He just happens to have certain God-gifted qualities that allow him to do things, but he's not a killer by, he's, he's not a killer by nature. He's a fighter by choice and by survival. And so, you know, throughout season one, I really wanted to show that, number one, okay, he is the head lieutenant of the Hopway Tong, which involves a certain amount of intimidation and strength and skill. But at the same time, if you, if you follow the story, you know, through episode four, you get to see a little bit of a flashback and a backstory of Bolo, of him fighting, you know, on the Transcontinental Railroad in which, you know, he, he's not proud of that. He's, if anything, he yeah. wants to forget about that past and leave it, you know, and then, yeah. you know, I wanted to give a certain vulnerability to him as well as a sense of humor, which you kind of see at the end of the Fung of High <laughs> casino fight, you know, and I, Excellent. I just wanted to humanize the guy because, you know, in so many, <laughs> so many decades of what he did in real life, he was just one kind of character, you know, so yeah. I, I wanted to just shed light on the, on the humanity side of him and what if. What if the real Bolo Young was was a lighthearted, vulnerable comedian? You know, I don't know. What if? You know what I mean? So <laughs> in, in doing that, there were certain choices that I specifically made that I wanted to express and, and, and give the viewers, you know, through Bolo. Yeah. And it, it is a nice homage to have him named Bolo. And honestly, I don't see much of uh, Bolo Young's characters in your portrayal. And again, a credit to you because that's not what the show needed. Uh, what you bring to the character is fantastic. That touch with the backstory showing how he's a huge victim of circumstance. Really, really awesome touch. When you first came on the scene and I saw you uh, in Warrior, I was like, all right, who's this guy? It looks like a young Carter Wong who's going to, you know, he'll probably be muscle and that'll be about it. Again, like everybody else, you, you change the you change that whole perspective as the show goes on and you show that development. That bit with the railroad nail and, and the flashback to having to be forced to to kill when uh, it isn't maybe isn't in your nature, that kind of stuff, like you said, humanizes the character and the the Fung Hai casino fight, that that shrug had me actually laughing out loud because I thought it was the funniest. <laughs> Uh, that's great. You know, and I'm, I'm just so glad of all those things you just mentioned. And I appreciate your attention to the detail. Just, you know, just because as actors, you know, we do so many different takes and we make so many specific choices in, in, in what we do as the character that a lot of times a majority of those things. And, and I say those those gifts that happen on on set while the camera's rolling, they get edited out, you know, in the post-production phase. And, you know, us actors, we, we rarely have control over that. So the fact that there's certain glimpses of Bolo's humanity, of his, of his vulnerability, you know, his softness, let's say, that did make the final edits, you know, I'm so blessed for because it really does shed a different light on Bolo as, as, a, as, as a person and as a character, you know. And, you know, that I remember when we shot the closing scene of that Fung Hai casino fight, you know, where I was like, hey, I, I remember telling Jonathan Trapper, I was like, hey, I, you know, 
this this is a bar. This is a bar, and there's free whiskey here. Like, he's definitely going to take a drink at some <laughs> point, and I don't care if you catch it or not. But you know, Bolo's going to drink, and uh, he's going to kick back a little bit, and enjoy a little bit of a happy hour kind of environment. You know, and you know, and Jason comes running in, and you know that that was that was one of the takes. You know, I remember Jonathan telling me, "Hey, give me give me some different versions and give me some different looks." You know. And I just told him, I said, hey, I think this one's going to be the winner. And he's like, all right, let me see it. And, you know, I gave him that shrug and he just fell out laughing. He was like, I think you're right. So, <laughs> I, you know, that, that, was, that was great. That was a great moment just because I, I, love, I love contrasting a lot, you know, and, that, you know, that scene is so vicious to begin with. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, let's, we, we can, I can lighten this up for everyone at the very end. You know, Jason has the comedic one-liners. I said, I, I can definitely give a shrug. And, and make people feel happy about this scene. So <laughs> it was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, because like you said, after all of that carnage, and you guys went all out with that carnage. The hatchet through the guy's head to nail him to the table. It's like, whoa. Yeah. And then all of that goes down. And like you said, Jason comes running into the room. He's like, God damn, Bolo. Yeah. yeah. You just turn to him with the, with the whiskey in and you give him a shrug and a little, you know, you cock your head a little bit. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you got a kick out of that. That was, that's great. And so when did acting become a part of the overall plan for you? I mean, you were an athlete, you were a good student. I mean, you've got a Jewish doctorate and MBA and all this other stuff. So when did acting become uh part of your path you know what i always say is that you know my childhood dream was to play division one collegiate football you know and so that was kind of the goal since i was a really young kid but at the same time i i, I call it a fantasy I, I had this fantasy of being an actor in hollywood um since watching bruce lee at the age of four you know and i i just always had in the back of my head you know whether it was like school plays in elementary and junior high that you know we were required to participate in um, I was just so busy with athletics that I really didn't have the time to designate to the arts when I was a kid, let alone through college. And um, but I always had that bug in the back of my head, you know, that acting bug that, you know, I, I had being being an athlete and playing in front of an audience and crowds and, you know, having a martial arts background and performing on demo teams and, and, and on stage for my martial arts. I really felt comfortable in front of an audience. So I always felt that, you know what, that's something I could do given the right amount of time. Because, of course, I wouldn't just want to do it 50%. I would want to commit to it 100%. So it wasn't until, you know, being at Yale, you know, everyone thinks, oh, you must have studied theater and acting because of the Yale School of Drama, which if I have any regrets, it was just that would be one of them that I didn't dive into it as much as I could have. And, you know, and, 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 then, and then I quickly remind myself well yeah i was playing football and you know for collegiate athletes that that's more than a full-time job with a full-time education at the same time so i i just don't think it'd been realistic for me to even venture into that area back in college you know so it wasn't until grad school came around where i, I ended up doing both my, my law degree and mba degree at the same time in a joint uh jd mba program um that you know people don't believe me but it's the truth it's the first time i had a lot of free time you know, I would have wow. I would have law classes, you know, in the morning that would go to about noon or one. And then I would have a break because my MBA classes were at night. And, um, you know, you can only work out so long and you can only study for so long. And then it's like, now what? So I kind of <laughs> time to really fill in. And, and I always call it my yoga at the time. You know, I went to acting classes 
to relieve my stress, to kind of exercise another part of my brain, to give my academic side a rest and exercise my creative side. And I just kind of started taking classes and, and training in the craft and the technique and as more of a hobby than anything, you know, and slowly but surely with the act, with the modeling and the commercial work I did and having a background in martial arts and keeping up my athleticism, you know, I had an opportunity to stunt world. Ironically, when I came back to LA to pursue a, a law firm job and I just used that opportunity to get on set and to learn kind of the business and, and, and the etiquette and, and to see how things work, you know, on a, on a multi-million dollar live production, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, you know, stunts and acting are like apples and oranges on a set, you know, they're two completely different departments, but at the same time, if I'm on the same set as you, I'm going to be a sponge and I'm going to soak up everything, you know, because it's just like we can study all we want in the classroom and be, you know, textbook savvy, but no one prepares you more than to you really jump into a real life situation, whether that's a company or whether that's, you know, just working with individuals that, that are, are, that are real people and not fellow students. You know what I mean? Like people in graduate school are in graduate school because they all want to be there. But you go to the real workplace and not everyone at your job really wants to be there. And then you have to learn how to work with those individuals and how to get the job done, which they don't teach you in any school, you know, that that detail. You know what I mean? So I just applied that same mentality to say, OK, if I'm going to do stunts, I'm going to be in the same work environment as actors. So if I'm studying the craft in the in a theater, quote unquote, a classroom, then at least I can get a real hands on environment and education in the real life being on a live set. And that's exactly what happened. And then from there, I just waited till my opportunity came where I could have, where I could cross over to the acting side a hundred percent, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's, that's my life basically in a nutshell right there. <laughs> well, when you started going out for those, those acting jobs, were you being offered those stereotypical roles, you know, like Yakuza triad, that kind of stuff, or did you steer clear of those kind of roles on purpose? No, I think, you know, you know, in the beginning, I mean, I still get called for those roles, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like, you know, and, 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 you know, I don't take it as anything but a compliment, you know what I mean? Because the mm. phone's ringing and, you know, that's all, that's all you want is the phone to ring. You know, the worst thing is when that phone doesn't ring and it stops ringing. But I think, especially in the beginning, you know, I was at the mercy of the industry where, you know, I had to build my resume and I had to build my, my, my credentials and just, I had to just mature as an actor in the business. And how do you do that? Well, you have to get out there and work, you know? So to me, I took every job, whether it was yeah, your typical Yakuza or your triad or your, you know, mafia, Asian mafia, this, you know, I, I took all those jobs. Um, because at the end of the day, I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, wow, people really get paid people ask people and people pay people to get in front of their camera. Like that used to blow my mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like this guy would really want to film me and he's going to offer me money. Like I, I would think you would have to pay him to shoot you. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. always been in the back of my head to this, to this very day. You know, that's why I have a hard time turning down jobs these days because, you know, obviously my team with my PR team and my agent, my management, you know, we all, we have a we have a certain strategy and a certain uh, way we want to conduct our business, and, and a lot of times I have to uh, turn down certain opportunities just because it's not um, conducive to what we're trying to do. You know, and, and and I think that's a good problem to have, but at the same time, you know, I, I still have the, the mentality to to take any and all jobs. You know, and that's kind of a, one of my flaws right now. 
where I have to be a little bit more specific and, and, and strategic, you know, now that we're on a different platform, especially with a show like Warrior and a show like The Man in the High Castle, you know. Yeah, another great project, by the way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on the martial arts a little bit too, because you, in, in doing some uh, reading up on you, you're an unapologetic martial artist. And I absolutely admire that. You're like, yeah, man, I'm a martial artist. Of course I am, and I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I've ever said that it directly, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I say is number one. Yeah, you know what? You know, I am a martial artist. Period. You know, and. And am I the best? No. Am, 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 am I the greatest? No. But the thing is, is that, you know, because of Bruce Lee, I was able to start my first physical extracurricular activity was Taekwondo, you know? And so that allowed me to literally, you know, just build a foundation of self-discipline, of self-respect, of self-control, of commitment, you know, just being accountable and just having an overall respect for your elders and, and for your, and for your fellow classmates, you know, and, and that's really been the foundation along with my parents and what they've, you know, installed in me as a, as a human as well, you know, that has allowed me, I think, to, to succeed in life, you know. Um, so in that sense, you know, I think when people have the misconception, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm a martial artist. It, it's synonymous with, with me, quote unquote, maybe having skill to, quote unquote, beat you up, you know, or right. be intimidating in that sense where, you know, some of the most intimidating people I've ever met in my life are some of the most humble and quietest individuals that are martial artists. You know what I mean? And so, you know, as, as I got into the industry and the business, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to have kept my flexibility, to have kept my technique in the martial arts. And I never knew that it would actually become a tool. You know, do I market myself as a martial artist? No. You know what I mean? Like, especially in this day of the UFC and all this MMA stuff, I mean, those guys are fighters. You know what I mean? Those guys are martial artists. Like, in that world, I'm a fake fighter. You know what I mean? Because I do it for the camera and I do it in Hollywood. So, you know, when, when you talk about a martial artist, I look at more of the disciplinary side of that as opposed to the skill side of that. Yeah, I'm a martial artist, but so is Conor McGregor. You know what I mean? When, when I say I'm a martial artist, does that mean I'm better than Conor? No way. I mean, that guy is a straight killer. You know what I mean? And uh, I would never want to get in the ring with him unless the cameras are rolling and we're on a set. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Honored yeah. to get in the ring with that man, you know? Um, but yeah, so in that sense, yeah, you know, I, I'm proud to say I'm a martial artist. I, I don't necessarily market myself like that in the industry. You know, this day and age with with all the, you know, tremendous stunt work and stuff, you know, directors and showrunners, they, they typically prefer if the actor can do the majority of the action uh, and obviously use their double for, for, for those, for those quick shots that, you know, are high, that are high impact and, and, and dangerous, so to speak. Right. And just for continuity purposes. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I've had directors ask me straight up like, Hey, can you kick? And I'm like, yeah, I can kick, you know, and, and I'll leave it at that. I, I don't say I can kick and I can punch. You know, if they want me to punch, then punch. But if not, like, I'll do whatever they want. You know what I mean? And that's how I kind of have gone about my, my career in the business as an actor. Yeah. Now, as someone who does have that martial arts discipline under your belt, when you uh, heard that this was a show conceived by Bruce Lee, did you get a little bit of a, a little tingle that you might get to use some of your martial arts on screen? I mean, that was definitely implied, just especially with, with me being cast as Bolo. But I think you know, the most impressive conversation I had in the beginning of this whole project was with Jonathan Tropper. And, and he specifically told me, you know, 
we're going to stylize each and every one of you guys very specifically. And in doing that, this is not going to be a Kung Fu show. This is going to be a Western based drama thriller with a martial arts element. And when I heard the way he said it like that, I was like, okay, you know what? This is going to be a success. You know, because there's a lot of movies and a lot of shows in which the acting is horrible, the story is horrible, but the action is what keeps the viewer attached to that to that particular project, you know? And, and that's fantastic, too. That's one strategy to get an audience, right, and to have that kind of fan base. However, you know, Jonathan and Shannon and Justin and Daniel, you know, they were obviously about quality uh, from the very beginning, you know? So when I heard him put it that way, that this is not going to be a kung fu show, if anything, only a certain amount of characters on this show are going to be, quote unquote, trained in martial arts. You know, for example, myself, obviously, Andrew plays Assam, Joe Taslam plays Leong. And, you know, surprisingly, even though Jason Tobin has a martial arts background in real life, you know, he's just this crazy dude with these knives. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So even that, it's not like, you know, a bar fight breaks out and everyone can fight. You know what I mean? Like, right. you see the way even Dean Jagger, you know, and Kieran fight, you know, they're just brawlers, you know what I mean? Which is very realistic. You know, if, if Dean all of a sudden added a spin kick somewhere, that would be a little awkward. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And so mm-hmm. in that sense, you know, I really think, you know, so much emphasis is placed on, you know, this is a Bruce Lee story, which it is, which also gives the impression that it's going to be a Kung Fu martial arts based series. So, you know, there's been so much emphasis on the Asian characters like myself, like Assam, like Young June, you know, that that I always I always need to give credit where credit's deserved. Have we had we not had the supporting cast of Big Bill, of Officer Lee, of Mr. Leary, of the mayor of Penelope, played by Joanna. If we didn't have those type of actors and those type of characters to balance you know, this whole martial arts aspect of this show, Warrior would be a failure, 100%. And so to me, I say the only reason why the martial arts and the fight scenes and the whole quote unquote, you know, Tong story is impactful is because it's contrasted and balanced by this completely different quote unquote white world that was going on yeah. during this time. You know, and so I, I think it's it's the perfect marriage of these two different worlds coming together. And with the way Jonathan Tropper has intersected and, and just, you know, collaborated these these crazy storylines, you know, is, is nothing less than remarkable. Yeah, that's very well put, I think, especially because Kieran Bu, his big bill character is going through some crazy stuff now. Again, credit to him. Uh, that's being fully realized. And, and the way that he's putting it on screen, Kieran, is a really, really immersive, again, part of that whole storyline. I, I I feel bad for the guy. I don't necessarily sympathize with him yet because he's making some bad choices, <laughs> but I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, like I just texted him the other day and I said, hey, dude, um, don't tell anybody this, but then I'll, you know, I'll tell you on this on this podcast that I was like, hey, man, I think I fell in love with you in episode six. <laughs> so I was like, you know what's what's so cool about his what, what Kieran's done? I mean, obviously I know him as as – as the real person he is in real life. And, you know, he's an amazing human being. I can't say enough about him just as Kieran, but what he did with big bill, uh, I mean, talk about humanizing and personalizing somebody. Like I feel like no matter what generation or what decade we're in, we all know someone who's trying to balance a family and a job and a career. And, you know, he's not a bad guy. Like you said, he's just made some bad decisions 
And, and, you know, we, I think we know a lot of people that, you know, that we can relate to that has gone through those times, if not us personally, you know what I mean? So that right there, especially in episode six, when you just see him kind of collapse at, by the, at the end, it's just, I mean, that really strikes a nerve, I think with everyone and uh, his yes. performance is just, is just outstanding. Yeah. And again, that whole world is just so well developed. Uh, and it, when I say well developed, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff about that world that makes me uncomfortable and that's a good thing because I believe this world. I believe everything that you guys have put on screen. When the white characters are calling the Asian characters chinks, I cringe and I cringe hard. And I'm like, oh man, that's really, really uncomfortable. Uh, when the when the guys uh, on the Asian sides are calling the women sticky, that bothers me yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. really a lot. But it's all part of this world. It's all part of you guys responding to the environment that's created by these Tong wars. And I believe it. I buy it. And I'm there. I'm all in. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it'd be more impressive just overall for the viewers to know what everyone is really like in real life. Cause that's, that's the whole irony, you know, the, 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 the quote white guys on the cast and the white women on the cast. I mean, they're, they're, by no means, are, do, do you, did we ever feel that you know they were they were racist towards the Asians or anything like that? You know what I mean? Like it, that's why it's just so funny. Like you know these takes are, are you know what I always say is you know the more intense the dialogue and the more intense the subject matter is, the more lighthearted the onset environment can be. You know, and vice versa. So a, a lot of these really intense scenes were you know whether I'm staring down someone or I'm fighting someone, or Kieran is cussing out someone, as soon as we yell cut, I mean, it's almost like a laughter after, you know what I mean? It's almost like, hey, man, I'm sorry I called you a chink again, you know? I didn't, I'm like, yeah, dude. It's, there, there's just that humor that exists that, you know, obviously the viewers don't get to see that part of us, but, you know, I think that's what made it even more special is that, you know, we, we, we bonded so much off camera that it became almost a little comical at times, you know, especially with Jason and his whole you know, infatuation with women and, you know, all that stuff that, you know, it just, I was like, Hey man, are you acting or is this real? You know what I mean? <laughs> you're pretty good, dude. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I think all the credit goes to Jonathan Tropper who developed this, this language and this linguistic aspect of, you know, calling, calling people, you know, the ducks and, the, and referring to an environment as the pond and and the Chinese as onions and like you said, women as sticky, you know, and, and a Oof. chink is a chink is a chink, you know, is what you know <laughs> said. So you know what I mean? I, I think it, I think it was I think it was an ingenious move on Jonathan Tropper's part, and and I think the language really adds a whole other element to to this already like totally layered show. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Speaking of women, Assam has Penny. Yes. Young June has Wong Kea. Yep. Leong, Joe Taslin has Mai Ling. Yeah. Where is Bolo's sticky or stiffy? We don't want to be exclusionary. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> not to give away any spoilers, but uh, I had this question a lot throughout the whole season. That's all I'm going to say. And I kept, I kept asking Jonathan. I said, you know what? Is Bolo going to have female sticky or male sticky? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Because I don't like how we're already through episode six and there hasn't really been a, a decision made and you rarely see him. Like, you know, I joke about there's one little one little uh, scene in episode three where Assam gets released from jail and he comes back to uh, Atoy's uh, brothel and young June and I are kind of hanging out by the bar. And 
I have two women that are, you know, kind of on my side and yeah. I made sure I told Jonathan, I said, you know, I like women. Bolo likes women. He definitely likes women. I don't know if Bolo, what his <laughs> sexual preference is in your head, Jonathan, but I, I think he's, he, he likes women, you know, and he just kind of smiled and walked away. <laughs> that was always, uh, and always a topic and, and not to give any spoilers away, but, um, it was a, it was a frequently asked question throughout season one. I'll just leave it at that. Awesome. Very cool. All right, let's do a lightning round. I've kept you a long time already. Oh, good, all good. Let's do it. Give me the first answer that comes off the top of your head. Ready? Okay. Finish this lyric. When the sons of Eli break through the line, that is a sign we hail. Yale. Eli. (laughs) Very good. Nice job. (laughs) What's harder, memorizing a playbook or memorizing a script? Playbook. Really? Yes. Many more pages, I assume. And many more situations. <laughs> <laughs> Down in right. a lot of those. So Nice. All right. Uh, you did a lot of work on Korean TV, so name three K-pop groups. Okay. We have um, Shiny. Nice. Big Bang. And we have EXO. There you go. Wow. You didn't even go for BTS. Nicely done. No, I didn't. That's too mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, look at you. All right. Uh, the cast of Warrior enters a twerking contest. Who finishes first, second, third, and who should have just stayed home? Okay, first is Joe Taslam. By far, he kills <laughs> it. He, he just murdered <laughs> Second would probably be Jason Tobin. And third, I would have to give it to Dean Jagger. Wow. And I think I would have stayed home. Totally. <laughs> All right, good enough. Speaking of Jason Tobin, he said that he thinks that you could probably take him in most things, but he's pretty confident with his dancing skills. What would be your killer dance move to take him down? My killer move to take Jason Tobin down? Um, I would probably have to do the worm. <laughs> there you go. Can you still do the worm? If Jason's in front of me and there's money on the line, I think the worm could definitely happen. Definitely. Nice. (laughs) All right. uh, Answer this call. Uh, Hello, Rich Ting. This is one of the big comic book cinematic universes. We'd like you to star in our next superhero film as... I believe it's Shang-Chi. There you go. Yeah. That would be the one. That's cool. That would be a a nice showcase for you, I think. That would be be awesome. Um, I I would like to offer uh, two potential... Uh, alternatives, uh, if you'll indulge me. Please. One w- one would be uh, controversial. The other, I think, would just be cool. But one, I think you would make an awesome Bruce Wayne. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a little controversy there. But I, th- I think you have a great look as a uh, uh, in terms of being a millionaire playboy. And you have the chin for the cowl, I think. Uh, thank you. I mean, hey, dude, that, that, I, I'll take that compliment any day. Thank you. <laughs> And then the other one, if it ever gets done, I think you would make a great lion from the Thundercats. Uh, I'm throwing it back there a little yeah, bit. but No doubt. That would, <laughs> that would be safe. <laughs> All right. And uh, the last uh, question, it's a trick question, so hopefully you get it right. But what's your favorite podcast about Kung Fu, martial arts, movies, TV, and entertainment? That would have to be Kung Fu Driving Podcast, hands down. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Um, All right. So Warrior is in full swing. Season two is coming. 
beyond that, what else do you have going on? What are you working on otherwise? Um, I just finished up a show on ABC called The Fix. Um, unfortunately, we just got the recent news last week that it will not be renewed for season two. Uh, but it was a pleasure working, obviously, for ABC Disney and obviously for Marsha Clark, who is the executive producer and writer of that show. So I want to thank them for that opportunity. Uh, the next thing coming up for me this year would be the finale season, season four of Amazon's The Man in the High Castle, in which I play Captain Ijima, a uh, new Japanese imperial captain from the military that comes over from Japan to add to the San Francisco Kempitai uh, in the U.S. Nice. So stay tuned nice. for that. Very cool. Uh, are you developing any anything uh, otherwise other than uh, the mainstream stuff? Yes. Um, however, I, I am not the liberty to discuss those things. But yes, I'm I'm always trying to develop stuff. I'm very uh, I'm very open to doing independent films and, and actually like that world a lot. So you know, uh, always always have uh, time and always have an ear to to to, to in, you know to indulge in other projects in those in that world as well. All right. Otherwise, we are looking forward to seeing more of you in Bolo. I know. Um, uh, are you coming back for more of season one? And will we definitely be seeing you in season two? Because I, I don't want to lose you just yet. Yeah. Um, no spoilers. I I will be obviously coming back in season one and tune okay. in to see what happens. Nice. Very cool. Rich Ting, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome work that uh, you're doing on Warrior. Uh, looking forward to more of your work. So uh, best of luck with everything and appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thank you for asking me to do this. This was this was a blast, man. Big bolo size thanks to Rich Ting for spending some time chatting. What a cool guy. And he's got an infectious enthusiasm that I think you can hear in our interview. And it definitely shows on the work he's putting down. Follow him on all his socials on Instagram, where, by the way, he's really active and engages regularly with the fans. His handle is at Rich Ting World. Same on Twitter, but... Rich hosts several Instagram Lives after the airing of Warrior on Friday nights where you can chat with him directly, and like I said, he's really great with the fans. I'll also leave a link to his site in the show notes so you can hop over there, and if you do get to say hi, let him know that you checked out this interview. While you're surfing the internets, stop on by my socials as well, at Kung Fu Driving Podcast on Instagram, at Kung Fu Driving on Twitter and Facebook, or just email me at kungfudriving at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, don't forget to visit my Castaways podcast brothers and sisters at the hashtag Castaways. Show them some love as well. Warrior from Cinemax airs Friday nights, so check your listings for times. And until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea roaming over the lands. Yeah, the little bitch soldier is old and wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to grave jars. Fight for the cars, then pause here. The pause, not again. Back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but more.
Hawks don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster Can channel a little drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang-Chi movies, will the hero will survive? We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight, may as well pick the spot Yeah, the sky goes black, cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all, so stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Mantis style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw. See it's a game of death yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slash and blood just did drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow but she isn't the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the walls Don't fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that they call Jet Li I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war To smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting